senses will never be the same. Talking Tommy with Kit Power. Our very special guest, Neil Snowden. Hello everybody, welcome back, welcome back once again to yet another new podcast strand. Yeah, you may fairly at this point be wondering if I actually have any kind of ongoing series idea at all, whether I'm just putting out random stuff at this point. I sympathise with that position, um, but I promise you that's not the case. So, let me explain what's happening. Basically, uh, watching Robocop's going on hiatus. It's not finished, that project. I expect and indeed look forward to returning to it sometime in the next sort of six to eight months, something like that, reasonably. Um, but I'm taking a break. And uh, the reason I'm taking a break primarily is because um, I would like to do this project instead, which is uh, watching Tommy. So as you're hopefully all aware by now, I actually have a book coming out on the subject of the movie Tommy. Uh, it's certainly a source of uh, the book. The film itself was a source of childhood trauma to me. Uh, and writing this book has very much been a way of me attempting, as I do through the My Life in Horror column more generally, to kind of exercise the demons of this movie and really try and pin down uh, what it is about this film that, that uh, both fascinated and appalled me so much. Now, I'm not sure I've actually achieved that aim, but I certainly had a good time in the journey. Uh, I produced a book I'm incredibly proud of, uh, which is being published by Electric Dreamhouse Press on the 13th of July, and hopefully we'll be launching at Edgelit and Derby on that day, uh, which is incredibly thrilling. And it felt to me that an appropriate way to celebrate that would be to, you know, basically change the MO of, of the podcast for a few months, and instead of watching Robocop, watch Tommy. So that's what I'm going to do. I've got a few guests lined up already and a couple more in the pipeline. This will be a limited series on, I'm thinking probably six to eight episodes at the most uh, over the next six to eight months. Again, as ever, Patreon backers are going to get it in advance of the rest of you, but it will all be going up for free on the Watching Robocop channel. So I hope that's okay. I hope you do all decide to stick with it and I hope you enjoy the journey if you do. Um, and as I said, Robocop will be returning, but right now, uh, this feels like a fun project to do for a little while, um, keep things fresh. And uh, I mean, it's a hell of a movie, Tommy. There's there's an awful lot to talk about. And uh, I'm just really looking forward to getting other people's perspectives on it, to be honest. I've spent, you know, I spent the best part of a year with my head in my own version of the film, you know, wrestling with my own demons in relation to it. I'd be really interested to get other people's outside perspective and see how they get on with it. And I hope you, dear listener, enjoy that journey um, with me as we as we do that. I think you will. I think the guests I've got lined up are frankly interesting enough that that's not going to be a problem. And speaking of guests, here's the first guest for our inaugural episode. Now, uh, for this episode, we're not actually watching Tommy together. Um, this is more of an introduction to the project as a whole. Uh, so uh, for this episode, what I'll be doing is interviewing Neil Snowden, the man who is the editor behind Electric Dreamhouse Press, the man who commissioned me to write the book, to talk about Tommy and also Ken Russell in general, a director that, well, I mean, we're both admirers of, but I think it's fair to say Neil has a better understanding of as, a, as an artist overall and a, and a deeper connection to. So we use the book as an excuse to talk about Russell. There are, as you might expect from a Kit Power co podcast, many diversions and deviations. The conversation is hugely enjoyable. I had a great time recording it. Neil is uh, an incredibly 
uh, passionate and intelligent man who, you know, uh, frankly understands a great deal more about cinema than I do. So he's an absolute joy to talk to. And I think that'll come across in what you're about to listen to. I have no doubt. So again, I hope you enjoy this introduction. I hope you enjoy the new direction the cast is taking for the next six to eight months. Um, and I hope this serves as a useful kind of introduction to that. So the first full inaugural episode of Watching Tommy will be going live, um, I anticipate, uh, later in July and up on Patreon. But for now, please enjoy an introduction, if you will, um, a foreword to that project. Uh, Neil Snowden and myself in conversation about Tommy. And so for my inaugural guest, it could be no other than Neil Snowden. Neil, how are you doing this evening, my friend? I am pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm good. a little bit tired, <laughs> as right. is generally the way it seems like these days. But um, I'm really good. Um, good. I am in a curious place this year, but otherwise, although I'm, I'm good. I'm really looking forward to talking about the movie. I'm looking forward to the fact that we're uh, we're we're really getting close to the time we're going to launch this as well, which is it's oh, I'm just excited to get it aired. Yeah, it's no, it's absolutely thrilling. We went through, we had the page proofs, didn't we? It was like two or three weeks ago now. Yeah. And it, I cannot tell you what a thrill it was just going, just flicking through the PDF and being like, oh my God, this thing is real. This is happening now. It was, uh, I was very exciting. It was, it's great. Um, I was just, yeah, I'm really, really happy with that. Really, really happy yeah. with that. So, so we're here to talk. Uh, we're here to talk, Tommy. Um, I think we may we may stray into to a bit about Electric Dreamhouse Press actually, because I'd quite like to I'd quite like to get into that with you if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. But I so so let's start with Tommy. But by, by the time this goes out, or shortly afterwards, anyone who wants to know what I think about the film will, will have a, a, a perfect opportunity. They'll have a book they can buy, which will tell them. But I'm I'm curious about your own history with the film. We we connected on this project when. You heard me talking about uh, Tommy on a podcast, but I know that you're you're more a fan of Russell's work generally. Is that right? Um, it is. I'd had a my, my connection to, to Russell's is an interesting one. I think I kind of I grew up. Uh, I was born in seventy seven. I grew up in the eighties, and and then really by the time I was getting into film, Russell's um, star, if you, for, for want of a better word, was 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 sort of on the wane. I mean, certainly his mm. kind of his, his critical. Um, the critical opinion was generally against him. Um, right. He was, you know, it was, it was, an, he was an easy target. Um, he yeah. was the, um, he he'd become the, the, you know, the kind of the, the kind of the, the mainstream press needs to think of him as a, as, as maybe a little smutty, a little vulgar. Um, yeah. I, and I, and, and it's, I mean, so like really the kind of the releases that came out as I was kind of particularly conscious of stuff were really kind of things like Gothic and, um, uh layer of the white worm yeah um and probably before that actually altered states was one of those was ones that, that was just around in the ether when i was a kid hmm when I was just that, that must have been quite something actually as a kid <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah it was it was interesting i mean i mean it was one of those ones that was floating around really for a long time before i ever saw it though as well um right. and so really i kind of went uh, I, 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 unfortunately, you know, you kind of, as a kid, you kind of buy into some of that, like, you know, the, the kind of, the prevailing um, opinions kind of, you know, it's like, oh, this is what this is. And you kind of, right. you, you, you do fall into that. And when I went to university, I was looking at, well, I went to university trying to make films. Okay. Um, this is in the days before digital. And it was the, the only way that I was ever going to get myself, my hands on, on film equipment was to go to university and, and study it. Sure. And there wasn't really kind of, you know, I went to Southampton or what was then Southampton Institute is now Solent University. Um, 
and later on in the um, in our studies, we Ken came in. Ken was brought in oh, wow. as, as as an actual. Um, I wouldn't say a lecturer, but he came in and did, you know, he did came and did a couple of things. We were doing a bit of, um, uh, what were we doing? We were, we kind of, there was a bit of a directing course. And so we all had to direct um, a scene. It was a scene from Sex, Lies and Videotape. Okay. Um, yeah. Or rather we would put into groups and someone else was directing and I was acting. I was acting the James Spader role. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I'd never seen no sex lies and videotapes at that moment. So I was just making it up as I went. And it was, sure. the, he t- it was the scene where he turns up at the house um, and Ken was in the room. And I remember Ken coming over and, and just really making a big deal of uh, really directing really interestingly, much more interesting than, than I was making the scene as an actor or right. like you know you've you've got this video camera you should be using it he should be thrusting it at her he's very you know he's very in your face and kind of dramatic and it was really interesting but i still uh, didn't really know him and i didn't know the films that well and i and right. I, I feel really bad about that in retrospect um <laughs> it was much later that i came around to realizing that actually that these films are not um what's the word i guess maybe they, there's, there's, there's an idea that maybe some of the later stuff in particular is somewhat cartoonish and i don't think it is um there's this yeah. there's an image that he's kind of an extremist or as i say a vulgarian or a, uh, he, he or that he's just nuns and tits uh, you sure. know what i mean there's a lot of sex but i think that there's more and more the, the, the as, as time's gone on i just think he's a he's a filmmaker who who wears his heart on his sleeve and i don't think the british establishment yeah. deals with that very well um at all yeah um, that's a really interesting point i mean one of the things that's come up i've seen in conversation and i think i think steven volk talks about this either into in the introduction or maybe we've just i've just seen him talk about it elsewhere but there's a no it is from the introduction it's about uh, russell had a had a real sincerity mm. there was a real like just you know as you say heart on the sleeve there was a there's a real passion in his work and i think that there is a kind of there is a kind of sniffiness about that in in a certain in a in certain areas of, of British culture. There's a feeling that you know it goes back to that stiff upper lip, button down kind of crap, doesn't it? There's an idea that if you're really letting things fly, you're sort of letting the side down a little somehow. Oh, absolutely, and I think that that's absolutely it. I think it's he from a very early age. As the more you know about his kind of his whole history, is that mm. it's art is what is what what saved him art is what kind of moved him art is and that is everything about the way that he then communicates and everything he does in film is about um emotion really ultimately i think everything Mm. that he does is about emotion um and it's about um i think there's a harlan ellison quote actually in his review of of gothic actually which is really good um where Mm. he describes that yes it goes too far sometimes but it is it's a film that is crawl it will crawl up the walls <laughs> to make you feel something it nice. demands that you feel something and it's yeah. just going to scream at you until you do and if you don't then if you don't get that i think there's you're missing something and i don't think he's a vulgarian at all i don't think he's um che- that any of things are cheap i think he knows exactly what he's doing at every single step of the way and sometimes yeah. that the frame the lens that he's he's, he's using is is satire um, later yeah. on, I think so. I think he, he, he takes the kind of, in those kind of later things, kind of sort of layer of the white woman onwards, I'd say to some degree, he, he'll, he'll work with his limitations. And if he can't right. get it to work dead straight, then he'll, he'll play with a, with a twist, that's the, a knowing twist. 
Sure. Um, but the earlier stuff in particular is just, it's so head on and it's so direct in what it feels, but that sure. it, and it's so open. It's just that bare chested kind of, he's, he's pulling his chest up <laughs> to see that beating heart kind of like, oh God, look at it. And it's, yeah. and, it, and he's, and the, the risk in doing that is absolutely that you, you, you go too far or that you seem over the top. I guess sure. is is a risk, but I would rather take that risk than 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 shy away from it. Which is, I think, this is the standard of kind of, yeah. of, of British filmmakers of the period, um, really. Yeah, and I, it's interesting. I mean, I feel it's funny because although I mean, I, I'm sort of I'm only really personally, aside from Tommy, which I'm obviously quite familiar with at this one, I'm only personally familiar with the rest of Russell's work. I mean, like you, I mean, we're actually only a year apart in terms of age. Uh, Lair of the White Worm, I remember seeing as a young teenager and as a <laughs> as a heterosexual young teenager, it had quite an impact on me, as you might imagine. It would, yeah. Um, in a positive way. Amanda Dunhill will do that. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh. Yes, and um, and the other one I remember actually quite vividly was Hall, which I I might have even tuned into for more base reasons, but turned out to be something quite other than what I was expecting. And I, I mean, not not remotely titillating as a no. piece of work. No, no, no. Um, but but really powerful, mm. I think. A really stunning film. I, th- um, I think it's always the case that he means it. Um, at, at, yeah. at everything, at everything he does, and I think you you start with those early the early documentaries where he, yeah. it's almost there's, there's a side to him that I think is is a lot like um, Herzog, in many okay. ways. Um, uh, what Herzog talks about um, in his documentaries, um, how he's willing to bend the facts in order to get past what he calls the accountant's truth, and in order in pursuit of something what he calls um, an ecstatic truth. Yes, um, and I think that's there in in, in Russell. Absolutely, he takes mm. a, a very different angle to get there. Um, I really do believe. I mean, you know, it, it it always comes from that kind of um, that lightning bolt of classical music and opera and all those kinds of things that really hit mm. him young, and that seems to come in there. And that and the fact that obviously they were the earliest film memories that really, that really impacted on him are, are things like Fritz Lang. Um, right, uh, Metropolis and uh, Jean Cocteau's La, La Belle et la Bête. Uh, sure. I was kind of increasingly these days. I've kind of I keep looking at the two things. If you can take those two things to put them together, um, <laughs> the, the, the kind of the the visual language of of of, um, of Lang yeah. with the poetry, this sort of almost terrible lightness um kind of almost gossamer lightness that, that, that the cocktail can have sometimes that the mm. poetry part the kind of the willingness to embrace artifice right um, and then put that together with a british sensibility of the period which is just innate because he grew up in it especially sure. the kind of the, this not quite working class but you know not exactly upper class or anything um background He's from Southampton. It's a seaside town. I mean, the, you know that that seaside that the British sexuality is there. Oh yeah, you know I mean? that, that repressed, seedy, yeah, weird mix that that just is part of. And I, again, it's something I really don't think that the 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 British mainstream press ever wanted to to acknowledge as as, a, as an actual thing. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you can't acknowledge it as a cultural phenomenon because it's it's fundamentally working class and therefore it can't be of culture. And yet 
it clearly was. It yeah. clearly was absolutely a really powerful strain. I mean, that's something, as you know, something I get into in the book when we're dealing with uh, with Uncle Ernie. I go on a bit of a rant about that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I suddenly find my angry bone when I'm talking about, uh, you know, the relationship in the mind of you know not and i don't mean in ken russell's mind i mean more generally in the culture i don't i don't happen to believe it was in russell's head at all but the the connections that people made between for example homosexuality and pedophilia was very clear you know um at that at that time in history and it but it's all somehow you're right it's all tied up in that really odd quote-unquote humor you know the kind of the, the 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 postcards with the the kiss me quick hats and the flashes and the there was a really odd like almost celebration of that kind of figure wasn't there the kind of the pervert in the dirty mac was this kind of i don't know yeah i mean it kind of a bogeyman but also as you say like a cartoon so almost a figure of fun and amusement i think there's a there's a tension there and yeah you can see russell kind of pulling that out and just kind of <laughs> shoving it up on the screen and it's, like, it's yeah. there in, in, in as much as it, sort of, it filters or it mingles with all these other things um right and sometimes right. i think it draws down or kind of oh you kind of have these kind of poetic ecstatic uh artistic kind of impulses artists obviously you often made movies about artists specifically um yeah yeah the where they are trying to rise above them or trying to move beyond it, this kind of more base thing, I think, which but which is still there, and it's a very tactile thing when you see it on screen. Um, mm. There's a tactility about the about his cinema that is 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 comparatively rare, I think. Yeah. Um, but but there's also that willingness to embrace artifice, which obviously is part of um british culture with the kind of the pantomime of british theater culture and um and and obviously he was on stage for a while he was he obviously he trained as a ballet dancer or as a dancer Mm. and um i think a little too late in his career to really make it really but um but he he knew it and he embraced it and he liked that world um and that tension between the real and the unreal that i think is inherent which is inherent in theater and in, in art most of the time because you are with the best film in the world you're never whether you're in in the audience or on the stage it's you're both within the fantasy and without of it at the same time and that experience is something pretty unique and that's really interesting because i think generally speaking in in the culture the overwhelming kind of consensus has become for you know for cinema and for tv for that matter has become about you know realism is terribly important even in even in movies that are clearly batshit insane by any reasonable standard in terms of like wonky physics and giant robots and superheroes but there's still this weird you know like hewing to the notion of of realism and naturalism as being like you know like just necessary preconditions you know people talk about the suspension of disbelief and the, it seems to me very much tied into this idea that you can't, it has to be realistic, whatever the hell that means, it's, in quotes. Uh, yeah, this idea of verisimilitude um, that I don't yeah. really believe in. And that most people say, well, look, it, yeah, but this is real. I say, well, it's no more real on screen, whether you're looking at uh, Ken Loach or Ray Harryhausen, really. Right. They're, they're both ultimately fantasy representations of something um yeah they're not one one of them has the 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 um uh, looks 
the image, the, I guess there's the impression of, of something more recognisable towards mm. our daily kind of existence, but it's still a fantasy. Nothing in it exists. Um, no, right. And so, so, and I think that there's that, but yeah, there's that illusion in, um, and this idea that, that, that one is somehow more important than the other, or more valuable <laughs> than the other. Yeah, um, which is very, very British. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But sure. I, I worry about it. I know that, that idea that you say the realism, but when it, realism, when it comes to fantasy movies, which is just utterly, I guess it's, I, I get it, the suspension of disbelief, but I, I, I don't know where we are with that at the moment. I don't know what CGI is doing with that because I'm not convinced yeah. by most of it. So I kind of find it a strange idea that this is somehow realistic looking, whereas the other isn't. <laughs> Yeah, it's very, very strange to me. It's this idea that they they need to sell us on this stuff, and that's always what it feels like to me. Is like that you know we've got to make the CGI as realistic as possible because we really want to sell you on the idea that the the Hulk can throw a car at someone. And it's like I know there's no you know <laughs> I don't know how to break this to you, but I know there's no Hulk. Like I just like it, it, it's such a strange thing. and I, you know I'm not against it looking good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not you know no, but I do think there's, a, there's, anything, a, there's it, a world of difference between. Um between the way people experienced um fantasy cinema in the past and the way they do it now yeah um and i think that the acceptance of the fact that there was this idea of suspension of disbelief what they say with a harryhausen with a carol zeman mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. even with some of the early gilliam and stuff where it's not trying it, it all it needs to do is fool your eye you need yeah. to not see the trick even though you know the trick is there. Yeah. And all you need to do is not see the trick to buy the story. Um, right. So as long as you buy the story and you don't, you can't see the wires, as it were, you can't see how it's being faked at you, then you can be, you can allow yourself to wrap up in it. But it means that you, you, you do the, 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 I kind of feel like you do the thing that your, your brain does when you're thinking about metaphors, which is that you're both, it's both things at once. Yeah. It is real and it's unreal. I am exp- I'm aware that I'm buying into it. I'm actively participating in the suspension of that disbelief. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, I'm a lifelong Doctor Who fan, so I can get scared by bubble wrap if you paint it the right colour and sell it as, with the right actor. As, as, as you see, you believe in the bubble wrap. What is it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Elizabeth uh, Sandiford. Elizabeth Sandiford, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, I still from the best. Yeah, well, but, but it's but, <laughs> but it's, it's true. Actually, it, but that's because something that nails it. But if you believe in the bubble wrap, yeah. <laughs> that's that's good. That's that's good. That's all you need. Yeah, it's why those things yeah, work. So it's why theatre works. It's why I think I've always thought that the Doctor Who is ultimately uh, as close to theatre as anything else. Anyway, sure. Um, the the nature of of TV at that time, those those kind of studio cameras, is is is, is, is it's a, it's an interesting hovering point that it is as very similar, very close to. To a theatrical production in that sense sure sure okay that, so that is a tangent though <laughs> <laughs> that's look uh yeah <laughs> that's fine uh, this is this is conversational podcast um so okay so you you actually meet so you meet russell at university you, you have a couple of interactions with him in a class hmm. so to talk to me about then the the point at which you start to discover or rediscover or discover an appreciation for his work and what that looked like um probably not until much later actually um i was long out of university by the time i really came around to it although i think i'd seen um i mean i had seen gothic and and enjoyed it but not completely embraced it i had seen layer of the white worm 
um, for much the same reasons, same reasons that you did. Um, <laughs> I, but it was much later. Really, I'm trying to think when. I might have been doing better part of a decade after I'd left. Um, I right. after I'd left the uni anyway. Um, so you know, I graduated in '99. Okay. Um, and it was a good long while afterwards that I just finally sat down with these things and started seeing. I don't think who turned me on to it early, and what kind of turned me around. Sure. I mean, it may just have been seeing the devils. Okay. And realizing, this is just completely, not. This is a, this is this 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 is lightning in a ball. This is this is um. Mm. This is film when it hits you hard. Yeah. Um, and it is unforgiving and it really does shake you it grabs you by the, the kind of the lapels and it <laughs> shakes you to to listen and, you know i mean that's that's that and that's in its totality as well it's yeah. not it's not like oh there's an amazing performance by oliver reed or vanessa redgrave although they are it's everything in that film right um and, and then you not... start looking at the others and the, and the other ones are kind of doing the same and they are yeah. um even something as some people have a problem with with Liz Domania, I don't, but it's but it's it's just a wow. Yeah. Jeez, wow. <laughs> yeah. What is that doing? And then if you look at those kind of as as, as individual frames even. And then and when you yeah. you know understand what's being done there, it's just like my God, that's it, it is it's incredibly well put together. Yeah. Um there's a real sense of vision and um and energy. The energy to the films is 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 really quite extraordinary. Mm. I mean, I, I have to confess, The Devils is actually a film I'm genuinely, at the moment, I am actually too scared to watch. I mean, I, I actually genuinely, the, the at this point, the uh, you know the reputation of that film. I think you'll love it. The thing from... is, I think you would love, you'll really okay. like it. I think you'll like it because I think the kind of the um, the the political and the the, the spiritual ideas, are, um, the way that he, he deals with kind of um, politics and religion in that film, are just so so good okay um and so powerful that's really what the film's about as much as anything right um, okay fair enough um and it's just great i think you'll really okay. like it actually i really do <laughs> but you know no, I mean, cool. if you see some of the uh, the kind of the, um then the kind of the those early documentaries about elgar and right and stuff and they really they're just really moving um and enlightening and, and in ways that they helped me engage with that kind of music um, okay. in ways that I hadn't previously. Um, yeah. And again, looking at things like crimes of passion or... Um, sure. Um, and altered and states, which I really, really like. Um, right. Which I know doesn't always get, again, the, the kind of the best reputation, but I, I really do like it. Um, the mm. music lovers, um, it, it's, it's his willingness to break the fourth wall, actually, in some of those things. You know, I think there, there are characters okay. who just look straight out at the camera, who looks directly into the camera, um, <laughs> and it's 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 just kind yeah. of shocking. It's it's worth shocking in the best possible way that it's just invigorating. Really I mean, that's invigorating. A, it's a feature of Tommy as well, right? I mean, yeah. often the 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 characters will turn and sing at you, the audience, and just you know stare you right in the eyes, and it's. I mean, when it's someone like when it's someone like Reed with a character like Frank, it is it does it nails you to the chair, man. It really like, it really does, and it, it's yeah, an interesting it's... thing because Tommy, I didn't come to it again till much later because I'm not right. in hand on heart, and unfortunately, not the world's greatest fan of of the Who. 
Um, oh, fair enough. But um, so I came come to the Who mostly through that film, right? Um, right. And it and it and, and it, it is it. I do think you that some of these films need to be seen on a big screen to really get right. the impact. Sure. Um, I think that helps. I think that the, the, I think Tommy in a, in a cinema must be overwhelming. <laughs> because it, right. is, it is again it's that en- energy there's a sense sometimes that the, the films that Russell makes are relentless yeah they're just there's no breathing space sometimes it just pushes you back in the chair and <laughs> you're just you're holding on for dear life till the end yeah um, no I think Tommy's like that and I mean one of the I think one of the reasons it is Tommy in particular is like that is because of the because of the fact that it is an opera because it's not so there's no there's no unlike with the you know musicals have a very distinct rhythm you mm-hmm. know you, you have you have a series of kind of you know of 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 lulls and then peaks of energy with the musical you know when the songs kick in that's when the energy kicks up and the cinematography kicks up and then it and then it lulls back down again and it calms and it you know you're back to dialogue and you're back to moving the story forward because with tommy there's none of that the energy stays pretty much at 11 for the entire thing because it's all sung yeah you know it's all and it just oh man yeah i mean it's odd because it is relentless and yet it doesn't it for me it i don't know it i was going to say it doesn't feel like an endurance test particularly i mean you do i do feel, kind of feel exhausted when i finished watching I really it, do. So um, it is, yeah. I, I mean the last time i watched it was was when i was kind of sorting out the some of the stills yeah um and even just clicking through it on you know i'm i'm regularly pausing finding a frame Sure. Um, emotionally, I found still found it, and I had, I've had this experience actually with um, Firewalk with Me as well for Mora. Um, of course, going back yeah. through to find the images where you're not really watching the film with the same or with a cinema with a very different kind of skew because you're, you're finding specific images that relay something that in relation yeah. to what the text is in relation to what you're trying to to say, um, and that kind of often emotional high points are specific moments. And I still find that, um, yeah, grueling almost. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's an element of it which it, which it is which is is just, um, it, it it's an emotionally it puts you through the ringer I think, to, and intellectually a little bit as well. Um, yeah, I mean obviously that it 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 goes out on a high, it does find a sense of hope, which I think is important. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really. I think it's really. I mean, I, I, I don't know how many times I've seen it at this point. It's very rare I'm not moved to tears by the time I get to the final. Listening to you, that final image just demolishes me every time. And I don't really. I still, as you'll discover, dear listener, if you read the book, <laughs> I still can't quite articulate why that is. I'm not really selling this, am I? But you know, like, it. There's something incredible about the. The, the com- I mean I do I love the music I, I love the music of the Who um, and I I love the music of Tommy but but there is something about the collision of that that music with those images having been through that journey I mean that's the thing isn't it like the film has dragged you by the scruff of the neck all the way 
It's uh, yeah. Um, I was just dragged by the scruff of the neck, but it's almost yes. It is. It's, if if it grabs you from behind and shows you forward, because it always puts yeah. you face first. It, there's nothing in between That's you and true. whatever. It's not like he's, you're being dragged behind someone. You're very much being pushed forward. <laughs> Propelled in front Prope- of. Yeah. No, that's that's fair. Yeah. You're the person at the front, and you don't know what you, you can't stop yourself. Um, <laughs> it's. It I, does. It feels. There are times when those images feel like a slap in the face. Yeah. Um, there's, there's something very physical about actually most of um, Ken's cinema, and it's sometimes the shots, sometimes it's the, it's the edits, but he doesn't. Mm. I think maybe that's again what's one of those things that it, he he has an has an idea that he wasn't could do subtlety, and I don't think that's necessarily true. I think he actually has a lot of very subtle ideas, but he's not terribly interested in hiding his his thoughts and his his feelings from you. He wants you just to get him look. There it is. Look at it. Feel yeah. it. Actually, yeah. in, in a very clear way with resonance to, to Tommy, you know, feel it, see it, hear yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, he'd even, the thing, I'd, one of the things that struck me doing the research, because he'd grab, he'd, he'd take the camera, wouldn't he, for certain mm. shots or for certain sequences where he knew exactly the feel he wanted to get. I mean, it would be physically his hand on the camera moving it. And I think that, I mean, Acid Queen's the sequence I think of for that from Tommy, where that's him. You know, that's 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 Russell directly kind of well, working also, the camera. You, you can see him in the film. I, um, I discovered as I was kind of, again, when I was going through looking for, for the stills and stuff, there's um, yeah. during the Pinball Wizard sequences, there's, that's right. there are little moments where you actually you catch him. There's, he, yeah. he's, he's operating the second camera I think it's maybe the B camera but it's um, there are a couple of scenes because I, I was saying I was trying to catch uh, um, some good shots of Elton John I was trying to get good shots of um, in particular of Keith Moon before he trashes the, the drum kit um, yes <laughs> um, and there he is right yeah. in the shot it's Ken Russell with the camera at his eye and it's just like oh oh you're there I, yeah. and, I, and I think um, I'm not even sure Lucy Lucy is um uh, his, his now widow um, wasn't quite sure that she, I didn't. She, she, she well, I, I put the, the shot online. It's like I, I've never noticed this before, and I don't think she'd seen it either. So, um, are there uh, are there other Russell movies you'd be interested in in covering for for Electric Dreamhouse Press? What, what would be your you know what would be your dream Russell book to to get out on the? I am actually there's actually two sides to that because the, the my my dream Russell project is actually something i've been trying to get off the ground for a little while but it's it's proving slow and difficult because it's expensive um right my my dream project would be to get and i kind of there are enough people who are willing to to get on board and write this it just funding it isn't going to be easy um would be to do a, a series of 20 books that came out in one go 20 right. monographs that covered the entire yeah. filmography one person oh, per fantastic. film pretty much yep. maybe one person yeah, you'd yeah. cover all the kind of maybe the, the bbc stuff in one go and maybe you'd cover some of the later television stuff in one go um and sure. the garage days maybe which is it's just this bizarre thing in my head where i link them to um to metallica um <laughs> the, the garage days where you know by the end where he was with when ken, ken was still struggling to, to get the kind of the funds that he, sh- he, he shouldn't have had to struggle for you know, he was no, still was trying crazy, to make movies, trying to make big movies, but it never. And when they couldn't get the money for them, he made mm. these other things, sure. literally in his backyard. Um, yeah. Because, fuck it, 
here's a camera, I'm going to make it. And I just think well, I, he was, I love he, I mean, that. he was a filmmaker to the core, wasn't he? Yeah. That's the thing. Love yeah. it. Yeah. So that's the dream, like a, a, an electric That would dream be my dream, possibly an electric dream house, or whether it would be a separate thing, I don't know. But it's a sure, difficult sure. thing because you're looking at, like, you know, what, 20 monographs, 20 writers. That's 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 a lot of money up front. <laughs> yeah, it's a big overhead, isn't it? Um, but, you know, I, I keep dreaming. Um, I sure. mean, but there again, you know, of, of the films that he's done, the ones that I would pop for, I mean, The Devils would be an obvious one. Yeah. Um, although I think uh, Devil's Advocates have done that now. Right. Um, who we have here friendly. No, I, I know the I know the guys at at at, at uh, Devil's Advocates and they do great work. Right. Um, and we've gotten to the point where we kind of keep each other aware of what we're doing, <laughs> right. so that we don't just <laughs> land nice. on top of each other all the time. Sure, um, sure. And we're not in conflict because we know we just would rather encourage each other to to get more stuff out there. Um, Absolutely. Uh, but I mean, the Devils would be great. I'd actually really like to see a book on Lizardomania, because I think okay. it's a really underrated movie. But then Marla as well mm. um it's it's just it's just a great movie um yeah any number of things that could be written on them but um i think i i, I there's, there's a sense of me part of me really wants that whenever i get that, that fire in my belly and it comes around cyclically if i'm really focused on it is that i just want to overturn the critical consensus yeah which is which which has let him down so much yeah and, and just, I mean that was you know yeah I mean when I was researching for that because I knew one of the one of the chapters in the book was going to be about uh Russell and the press I had to deal with it at mm. some point and I did you know I did as much research frankly as I could stomach and um you know I mean he did have his champions you know he did there were a couple of people who went I mean you know I know he had a working relationship with Melvin Bragg obviously um but still, and uh, you know, Mark Commode has been, I think, has been fantastic and really, you know, right on. You know, like he gets it. Mm. Um, but it, it's just, it's really dispiriting to read. You know, oh, right, even yeah. the contemporary stuff. You just read it and you're like, you like, it just for me, just epically missing the point of what this guy was Frighteningly. doing. Frighteningly missing the point. Uh, well, you feel like you feel like willfully, right? Yeah. I mean. It, I, I can't it, explain it any other way. And yet, you know, I mean, we say that, but at this, and, and well, critically, he misses, there's a lot of people missing the points. And yet at the same time, you know, those movies were, were hits for the most part. Um, yeah. The Devils, there was, there was a time, I think, I'm sure someone linked it up that they said it had more actual number ones than... Who was it? I can't remember. There was there was a, he, he, there was there was a period of sort of like around the devils. What came out? Was it devils? The boyfriend. Right through time, with these things would still play for a while. You know, when when movies yeah. stayed in cinemas for quite a while, where he had, yeah. you know, like a handful of films that were in the top ten in in, the, in London were kind of were running really really well. Sure. Um, so you know they well, used to, yeah. they were certainly right through probably until about. Um, Valentino with he seems to fall out of sync with maybe the um the movie going popular so as as on mass anyway um mm. the sensibilities seem to separate a little bit mm. I don't know but yeah yeah but critically it's it's insane I don't I really don't know I mean you do have obviously the but the most of the kind of the people who are celebrating them are within cult cinema or um they're not certainly not the mainstream press no 
Um, and even, no, even right. Mark Kermode comes later, really. It's not yeah, like he was sure. there kind of for the contemporary landing of, you know, kind of the, the biggest movies. No. Um, he was kind of championing uh, his filmography, um, even as uh, he was always, he was that sort of not quite lone voice. You had Tim Lucas in, uh, in America and... Mm. Um, and actually a number of kind of probably kind of uh, actually realistically kind of a lot of sort of critics maybe in the horror presses and things that, that actually appreciated the work but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Fe- fellow misfits maybe that's yeah. an interesting observation isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Other, yeah fellow outcasts yeah yeah um, yeah and I think yeah I don't know I just but I did it, it was I was surprised. I mean, I, you know, you expect him to be controversial, of course, because of all the stuff we've talked about. But I just I couldn't get over just the sheer. Yeah, the volume of a program just felt to me to be and just very one sided and, and very kind of uh, mean spirited. And I, that kind of surprised I, me. I, I do sometimes think there's a sense in which as well that the um, the the cultural arbiters, so we say, is that maybe mm. the right way of saying it? Um, you know, the people that um like to dictate taste and what is right and what is proper and what is not um didn't like his way of engaging and celebrating um the kind of art that they otherwise liked i mean if you mm. think about the way that he he does engage um classical music and classical musicians and composers yeah He's he doesn't always come at them with reverence, and if he does, even if he loves them, it, it comes at it with um, probably a sensibility that makes sense. That I, for one of again for one of a better phrase, I'd, I'd almost call it a rock and roll sensibility, which is that he comes up with it. It's just this wham. There's yeah. no, it's not this delicate thing which I think is expected. You know, this delicate respect, and we we keep everything at arm's length, and you know, don't muss your hair. Um, and he doesn't want that. He's, he wants to get to the heart of the music, not not look at it from afar. Well, and also the the guts of the people. I mean, that was the thing for me. It was even just you know, I mean, mainly reading up on what he you know on the films that he'd made up to that point, the, the biographical work. It, it seemed to me that he was really. It was really for him to celebrate someone meant to really kind of dig into the core of what they were, rather than some kind of facile surface celebration you know like it wasn't uh it, it seems that his his fascination was in really like you know i mean we talked earlier about like you know the exposed heart thing but it's almost like when he's doing a biography he's exposing the heart of the person he's looking at you know like he's literally just kind of ripping their chest open for yeah, you and say, i know like, i think i think that's that's a definite thing i think there's um i think he wants to get to the heart of what he feels is the music and i think sometimes yes um, it's it's very much about it's like if you can't feel this then fuck you yeah I'm, I'm not absolutely. interested if you can't feel it I want to make you feel it and if you still can't feel it then you're just not for me get out yeah um, and everyone else can come in because this is this is real this is meaningful and I, this is what it means to me yeah. um, and I don't th- and I don't think you worry too much about that I don't think it and I, I think you know anyone that kind of got upset about details about biographical details when we again it's like yeah he's not presenting the 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 dry facts of someone's life he's trying to make you feel that person's um their energy and and their energy of their art of their music of what it is that's 
where the two things connect and how they connect and it's it, she's, she's evoking something in its totality um yeah. rather than well, look that's a man you know there's nothing more boring and i think Cronenberg said this about writing it's really dull to watch when he was making um naked lunch it's like it's not terribly interesting to watch a man write it's yeah. sat at a typewriter so you have to create another way to so how do you then engage the process how do you understand yeah. what's going on in say burrow's mind well you create this far stranger seemingly fantastical thing but that is actually far truer to the uh, the process of creation mm. um certainly for for borrowers and for that and and this and, and but it's still always going to be as he understood it and as he engaged with him as a reader as well as a writer and blah 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 you know there's these things always yeah. kind of the crossing points and i think that there's a lot of i mean Cronenberg for god's sake Cronenberg was a big fan of um of, uh, of ken russell yeah um and if you'd go on go on youtube and find the bit um i think it's a toronto oh man it's not diabolique that's that's a different magazine altogether damn was it there's the canadian horror magazine um again i'm having a brain fart but um Don't anyway they, they they did a an award ceremony they're presenting something to were they presenting it to ken i think they were presenting it to ken right or they were presenting it and they got either David Cronenberg to present it to Ken or Ken presented it to right. David Cronenberg. Actually, yeah, it's that way around. Ken did the okay. presentation to David Cronenberg and Cronenberg, yep. the look on Cronenberg's face, it's out there on YouTube. It's, it's, okay. it's the only time I've seen Cronenberg look like a fanboy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, Cronenberg so always great. looks kind of, you know, kind of just this, not aloof because I don't think he is aloof, but I just think he has, he has this kind of very dry yeah. sensibility, which is just, oh, that's interesting. Everything. I think it's that, yeah, it's that Lou Reed thing, isn't it? It's yeah. just like, yeah. Everything is absurd to me. Everything is strange, yeah. but everything is yeah. interesting. It's that Dr. Deckard thing, but all of a sudden, you know, he, he can, <laughs> the, the kind of that that facade cracks and he just looks thrilled. Oh, that sounds lovely. It's nice. It's really, really lovely. Yeah. Um, but I think there's actually a lot, in, in, in weird ways, there's a lot to, to between, to to a lot of similarities in those senses yeah like the way that they work in that sense but i but i i do think it's again going back to kind of my thoughts on fritz lang and, and jean cocteau and jean cocteau is one i really 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 like um and it's the totality of his life and his ways of working and the way he's utterly consumed with the the with art whether it's a, in terms of its emotion it's a spirit it's it's the, the process it's it's everything um and yeah. when you see something about cocteau's um films definitely in, in, um inspired russell um he, yeah. he said he's a big fan of la belle la bette uh, clearly but um also i mean i remember lisi telling me that he was a, he was a fan of cocteau um and you can see it in some of the things you can see it in tommy i think i, I, I the, the crashing through the window um, yes thing on oh, the crashing through the mirror sorry um, the mirror yeah, yeah um is for me i remember when when you because i'm, I'm a big cocteau fan i remember seeing that as you were, you were writing the book and stuff and thinking mm. oh actually this is this is this is blood of a poet um in blood of a poet he i, I don't know if whether you eventually saw it but it's um this is a whole scene of a man that they, they use the kind of idea of kind of you know you build the set the wrong way up and, and he crawls across the wall and it, it he seems to be staring into a, a mirror and oh, then he okay. lets go of the sides and falls in and it's actually the the mirror was a uh, 
wasn't a mirror, it would have been water, but it looks like he crashes, you know, through the mirror and into another world. Sure. Right. And there, you know, there it is in Tommy. <laughs> um, in a completely different context and a, to a yeah. somewhat different end, but it's the the image and the idea of going through the mirror is still such a powerful, potent little thing that you can see, ah, there it is, there's that moment. I can yeah. take that, I can use it. And it's interesting too, isn't it? Because obviously that was that the the mirror was was in the original piece of music. That oh, was right, okay. you know that that's come from Townsend mm. the the concept of the mirror and, and smashing the mirror. And I think I'm sure with Townsend, it was connected more to his kind of notions of spirituality and ego and that kind of mm. thing. But I love how, I mean, that's one of the things that I love about the movie is, and it's obviously something I talk about at some length in the book. But it's the interaction between Townsend's vision in the in the sense of the original you know rock opera musical and and russell's just you know sensibility and 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 talent and i, I love the way they interact because they're not that they're, they're sympathetic enough that it works but actually they're they're not in complete alignment and i think that some of the interesting things that happen with the imagery is is a product of those of the clash actually where they're, they're not quite in the same level you know mm-hmm. um I mean, a thing that immediately occurs to me on that on that score is the thing about how, um, you know, Townsend's very sold on the idea of spiritual enlightenment by being rendered deaf, dumb, and blind. Whereas I think Russell's much more alive to the horror of that, you know, and that yeah. and the the amazing journey sequence where you've got the kid with his head in a box and the mirrors and the the arcade machines and all that. That's much more kind of and deliberately so that the, the kinetic energy that Russell brings to that sequence makes you feel kind of nauseous. And I, and it, and it's a deliberate, I'm absolutely sure that's what he was trying to do. You know, he was trying to say there is something slightly sickening about this. There is something like dangerously discombobulating about this situation. And I like that. Cause as I say, I think in the original, I mean, the lyrics are changed for the movie quite tellingly and, I think Townsend's version of that is much more kind of benign and much more kind of like, oh yeah, I can't see or hear anymore or speak, but the vibrations, man, are really like, you know, <laughs> really cool. And it's like music and I've got my own way of seeing the world. And, you know, and it's like, uh-huh. <laughs> well, I think that's the difference between a young man and an old man as well. Or, or not old sure. Man, an older man, a man who has had a great deal more experience um, yeah. in his life. And that, that feeling of, even if, even this over there, if you want to take it to something slightly more facile, it's it's that kind of, the thing that I think as younger people, we tend to embrace the idea of um, uh, the suffering artist. Yeah, uh, absolutely. They have to go through this to find your kind of thing. And, and I think that once we come through the other side, we're going, yeah, we don't have to do that. <laughs> we really don't. <laughs> yeah. And actually the, the, the moment that's really most important and that's that actually meaningful is the moment we throw the shackles off our eyes and say, we don't need that shit. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, we put the put the cocaine down and go and get some help. And that's yeah. when things actually start to really take off. Yeah, it's, it, it's really interesting. Um and I enjoy that. But the other thing you were making me think of as I was listening to you talking there was about um, uh, it feels to me very much that um, what Russell's doing with a lot of his work and especially with the work on the composers, maybe it's like he's it's like he's paying it forward. You know, it's like because obviously, the as as we both sort of, you know, discussed the music, I mean, classical music saved his life. Right. He, he yeah. came out of the, the Navy and there was that situation where he was, you know, I mean, I don't know what you describe it as comatose or a nervous he's breakdown. Or something. He was very, very definitely right. depressed. Absolutely um, and right. Kind of pretty you much know, lying around in the funk in that kind of sense of just, yeah, not doing anything. Yeah. Lying around um, on the sofa kind of thing, just really not engaged, not feeling anything. Yeah. 
and it, and it was classical music that brought him out of that and you know felt like this you know lit this touch paper in him and i feel like you know it, it feels to me very much like his the whole thing that was driving him was a desire to as we you know as you said make people feel you know <laughs> like, I, I really think it's the be all and end of his understanding of art it just, yeah it makes you feel and it makes you feel things you've never felt before and it makes you it'll yeah it will help you transcend for want of a better word again but it's just for, for doing something more for getting beyond our uh, finding you know you, 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 it touches the deeper truths if if you know you want to put it that way or you would just lift you a little bit physically lifts you up you mean you feel different yeah. and when in the um when you're in the grip of some of, of great art or great yeah. music you yeah feel, you've, you've feel different you feel you feel i feel physically just yeah. lifted up um like someone who just you know really has grabbed you by the the, the the guts and kind of lifted you up in the air and it's like oh my god look at this yeah i can see what can i see from up here um yeah it's and i i, I do wonder if part of the criticism comes from just not liking that i really do like yeah. i wonder if some of it, there's just some fundamental especially with the the english critics the british critics which is like i don't don't do that to me <laughs> no i think so i think that's absolutely some of it i really do think that's some of it yeah. i think some of it is a case of i want to be able to stand at a distance and stroke my beard and and tell you what yeah. this is actually about in a nice neat box yeah um, and also tell you how frightfully clever it is but yeah I, yeah, it's interesting because I was talking with um, I was talking with Stephen Volk about this on Facebook, and he was just uh, we both got I mean, yeah, we both got to that thing of like most of our for both of us as it happens, most of our favorite movies are the ones that make us feel something on a visceral level, you yeah. know, that actually produce a physiological response. You yeah. know, <laughs> whether or not that's an entirely pleasant experience is secondary. It's just the fact that the art is that powerful that it hits you on that level. Um, and there actually, there aren't that many filmmakers out there that do that. They just aren't. No, um, no, no, there really aren't. Um, I mean, you, you, you know, the, the, most of the ones that operate in my top 20 or so are going to be films that have done that or filmmakers that have done that. Yes. Um, uh, and, it, and, and to me, they're kind of that highest because it's the, it's the, the moment you can bring the visceral and the intellectual together at the same time. Mm. Um, and I also think by the nature of trying to make that kind of art that it's always going to be kind of deeply imperfect and that's because it's it's far more interested in pursuing that feeling than it is in in, in being perfect and I think I mean perfection is an utterly stupid thing to to try and achieve anyway but do you know what I mean I think there's something like it's always going to be messy and jagged around the edges because that's kind of that's part of how it delivers that impact is by being jagged, is by being, you know, spiky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's... It's the risk that Kubrick ran. Um, right. By, by trying to be too perfect. I'd say that that's, that that's, that's his, his main flaw and the reason I think he doesn't always expect, uh, speak to a lot of people. Sure. They try, it, it is trying to round up a few too many of the jagged edges, or at least the kind of the... The, uh, maybe the visual dragon edges um because you know you leave some of them in there in terms of terms of in terms of ideas in terms of um, intellectual ideas well, but in terms sometimes of they're just a yeah. bit too clean hmm. um, but whereas you know i think <clears throat> and i've always thought it's about some, some other filmmakers well sometimes it's, it's the 
being able to see them butting up against the limits of um, their budgets yeah. or their, of what they have available to them in terms of yeah. uh, equipment and, and props and everything else. Um, you look at someone like um, I, I said Kubrick actually earlier on. I said that it, some of the f- earlier films for me are more interesting or more seem to have a more emotional appeal as well, as well as the intellectual that was always there. Yeah. Um, because it butts up against uh, the, the realities of production at that time. And yeah. Before he could polish and polish and polish and polish. Um, uh, and if you look at, or if you look at on the other end of things, say someone like John Woo. Who I don't think mm. benefited from being given the kind of massive amount of money that Hollywood could give him. Um, right. I think his his style is is so. Um, what's the word? I, I don't want to use operatic because I don't think it's operatic. But, he, but we know what it means by that. It's it's a, it's a very um, over the top style in lots of ways. He's, it, it's, mm. it's beautiful, but I think it benefited from being. Uh, having less money and being on real locations in something like Better Tomorrow or The Killer Mm. than being given lots of money and being able to make um, a set and build all your cars for something like Payback or Mission Impossible 2 or any of the stuff that he really made in America where he had a lot more money. Um, I think he benefited from just being balanced by the reality of where he then had to of the, of the you know the confines of that box i think that's yeah i mean i think there's a really interesting conversation that that i continue to have with people about that it's almost it, it feels almost paradoxical to me but there's something about there are it, it is often the case that artists make some of their very best art when they're pushing against some kind of constraint whether it's uh, financial or political or you know what i mean but when there is that conflict and whether because i think i think maybe what it comes down to is there's something about there's something about when you're exploring what you're exploring limits you know yeah. when, you, when you're pushing at the edge of what is achievable and i think you know with an artist like russell there's always a danger that you're going to leave a you know it's going to be like like a roadrunner cartoon you know you're just going to leave your shape in the wall mm-hmm. as you crash through it you know rather than... russell himself said that a little bit about um <clears throat> about gothic and the way that he cut it that he should have left a few more breathing spaces. He cut it all <laughs> like it was all happening too fast. He, you know, he cut some of it like a like a yeah. not like a pop video, but he but he he kept the pace. And he he I think even he said it sometimes afterwards he wished he maybe he just left a little couple of yeah. lulls to kind of to to space out the um the rhythm a little bit. Mm. And certainly, but that's but that's you know the risk he's going to take in the moment. He wants he just wants you to climb the walls and feel something well this is it isn't it and i think i think on balance and i guess where we where we both come that where you and i would both come down on this is we'd rather we'd rather the artist that took the risk every single time even if it doesn't always play out you know um yeah it's just going to be more interesting <laughs> it just is and i think i mean some of those later films are really interesting for that i, yeah. I still think that I, I think that the more you know that the more you know about uh, russell the more interesting um uh Lair of the White Worm is because it, it, yep. it's the more you realize he is making kind of a comedy. Yeah. Um, it, it knows exactly what it's doing. And when he realizes yeah. if something 
isn't working in the set, he'll work with it. Oh, this 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 person isn't as good as I thought they were, then they're not as convincing in this. Okay, well, I'll run with that. I'll lean into it. Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting. I never... I, um, I, yeah, I just... There's so much to be had from them. Um, yeah. That I just... It really pains me that, that people um cast him aside yep no i'm with you on that i think he's i think he's absolutely one of the greats and we we should celebrate him put it this way there are two things to it you can say it like if david cronenberg believes it david cronenberg is a brighter man than i (laughs) 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 if david cronenberg values him as an artist i think you can take david cronenberg's word for it there's also this thing i'm sure i had i've i've never been able to refine it uh is i've become to think that i might have dreamt it right um, but i'd swear in the back of neon magazine did you ever get neon magazine no okay no, it was uh in the 90s when we had that real surge of kind of post tarantino kind of uh interest in film and film publishing for a while right um, yep. so empire was already out there premiere was already out there neon suddenly came out um and a little bit later total film appeared as well right neon was really really good um, okay. And it had some really interesting writers, and some of the writers were comedy writers. So it had um, Graham Linehan would do bits for it. It was oh, a really yeah. bizarre little thing. But at the back of the thing, they often had um, kind of just to kind of they'd recount the making of a movie and kind of quotes and stuff um, from people that were involved. And I swear, I read in the one about Apocalypse Now <clears throat> a conversation that went something along the lines of. If Fran, you know, if I can't finish the movie, Francis Coppola is here saying, "Kind of, if I can't finish the movie, George will finish the movie. If George can't finish the movie, John Melius will finish the movie. But if John can't finish the movie, what do you think about Ken Russell?" <laughs> and I'm just thinking, man, John Ken Russell's Apocalypse Now. What oh would, my god! What would that have been like? <laughs> oh my god! That's just, I've, I've now, I have no idea. No, I've, I can't find the magazine. I can't find the issue. I don't know where it was. I have no idea now if that's just been a dream or if that ever, that conversation ever actually took place. But that's, I tell you what, man, that's one for Cine Phantom. That is glorious, <laughs> isn't it? It'd be a lovely idea. I can't, I can't unsee that now. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, that's, that's, that's my thoughts on that one. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Okay, well, um, that's great. I think we're up around the hour mark. So, um, uh, Neil, thanks so much for for agreeing to come on and and kick this series off. As I I mentioned, I'm going to be watching the movie Tommy with a few people over the next few months. um, And I will be listening. I'll be listening avidly. I'm really fascinated (laughs) to see what people think about it. Yeah, no, actually, me too. That's part of what's going to be fun about it. I'm going to invite back some of the people I've podcasted with in discussion and see how they feel to actually sit and watch it. And there'll be there'll be some other guests as well. But um, obviously, you know, thank you so much for uh, for inviting me to be part of the Electric Dreamhouse project. I mean, that you know, I've, uh, the the book on Martin is you know, I think I've read it two or three times now. Oh, thank you. Absolutely fantastic piece of work. Um, and I love I love the ser- I love the idea of the series. I have to say, you know, I'm just completely um, because it's the it's the it's everything we've talked about in terms of cinema that makes you feel. You know, I think that 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 feels to me to be the driving force behind yeah. behind the whole book project. And I'm, you know, I'm really glad it's out there getting made. <laughs> so thank you for well, that. Thank you. Thank quite, you very much. Quite apart from my part in it, I'm just glad that the project exists. So yeah. Um, 
anything you want to talk about about what's coming up with the press before we close out um oh god what's coming up apart from your book um we've got obviously stephen volk um and his book uh which is collecting his the the columns that he did for black static yes um which is called coffin makers blues um and basically covers a decade um of his life and his thoughts and kind of as his almost monthly thoughts of kind of, of being a screenwriter and an author in the trenches. Um, yeah. uh, and it's an interesting period is kind of this sort of between it's before what we would, I guess now call this kind of second golden age and for, for TV that's emerged. Yeah. Um, it was, it was through a stickier time that kind of, by the time you get to the end of it, you can see the glimmers of that beginning. Um, and it's fascinating because it's really is kind of, it looks at the craft. It looks at the life um, yeah. of, of, of the day to days. I mean, um, which I think is really interesting. I think we don't talk about that enough. They, how do we get by? <laughs> Absolutely. You know? um, and, and the, the, it's not just about the obvious kind of doubts and stuff, but the kind of the real things that we have kind of the real conversations we have with ourselves about our responsibilities as writers yeah. um, and, and readers and audiences. Um, Steve's willing to interrogate himself, I think, in that sense. Um, yeah. Be very, very open and um, and quite moving at times. And I think that's and I, I I really love the fact that we've we've done that. It wasn't really something that we planned. Yeah. Um, Steve came to me with the idea, and I and I bit his hand off. <laughs> yeah. No, as 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 you should have done. Which, no, which doesn't help his typing any, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> you get drag and dictate. He'll be fine. No, I I mean I've I've read the manuscript. I'll be interviewing Stephen at, at Edgelet. Um, where, where the book's launching, I believe. Indeed. Hopefully, Touchwood. Yes. Um, that's the plan. And uh, yeah, I've read the manuscript, and it's it's an absolutely, it's an absolutely incredible piece of work because it's it's both. I mean, for me, uh, you know, as a writer, as somebody still, I mean, I still consider myself, I guess, to be a budding writer or you know, like a developing writer. Developing it's absolutely. What are you talking about? You got no a, seriously. You, got a book, you had a, a story in New Fears that was selected for best horror of the year. Yeah, that that was very very cool. But you know, as as my dad would say, "Nice work, do it again." Um, but I think that I think that it's um, it it's both it, it it's both a you know actually a, a book about craft in part. It is about the nuts and bolts of writing. It is about the kind of mental process of writing, and it's just invaluable on that score. But it is also, as you know, as you say, it's 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 kind of autobiographical. Um, intensely personal uh, and, and yeah moving powerful great, fantastic piece of work so yeah I'd, I'd highly recommend that awesome. and I'm uh, I am really looking forward to, to picking Stephen's brains about. I've got about a million questions I know we've only got an hour on the stage but uh, I've got a lot of stuff to ask well we'll try and record it we really should try and record actually the event just so we've got it for posterity as well that would be cool um, yeah, be I cool. mean apart from that we've got we're, we're waiting and, I, and people are being very very patient with us um, we're, we're slowly putting the finishing touches to Stephen Bissett's book on The Brood um, which oh, yes. is um, glorious a glorious monster of a book um, and the reason I was going to say it's quite the beast isn't it, it, it the reason it, yeah I mean it's over 600 pages um, wow, if, and I mean, if you take in, like I said, the, the the average one of our monographs is about a hundred, hundred and twenty pages, mm, mm. Um, and the average. I mean, <laughs> to be completely honest, the freakiest thing I found was that the Stephen's footnotes, um, the word count of the footnotes adds up to more <laughs> than a normal monograph on their own. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
in fact, it's almost twice. I think um, it, it's oh, at a certain point he said, "I'm going to go long." Is that all right? And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's fine. I'm, I might go really long. Is that all right?" I said, I, yeah, it's fine. You, you see, see what you're going to do, and we'll, we'll, we'll work with it. I'll, I'll check with Pete. You know, I mean, I checked with PS because sure. obviously they, 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 other people above us, and they, they pay for our printing and everything, and there's distribution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that really, are we? You know, we found this amazing home with PS Publishing, which is just yeah. a dream, um, and they yeah. are immensely supportive. And I can't thank and Nikki and Mike for enough um, for all the stuff that they do which is just amazing um, so it's like yeah c- can we do that and Pete's like, yeah just go for it we'll go hmm. for it um, so yeah 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 go for it Steve okay I'm finished okay how long is it oh oh okay <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's I can't even remember what the final word count was I, I feel like it's no I really can't remember what the final word count was but it's but as I said 670 pages 670 odd okay um, and that's and what's amazing about it is, that, is is where Steve goes with it. I mean, Steve has a very personal connection to it as well. There's a kind of obviously the, the, the movie in, in lots of ways about trauma, um, right? And so right. Th- that was very important that we got that out. Um, but the way he deals with um, the film and, and its sort of thematic context, the kind of the the culture that it, the, the history that it comes out of, um, not just for the genre. Um, and for what might have influenced uh, Cronenberg, obviously Cronenberg's personal life, which is pretty well documented for the time, and how that influenced the story, but actually sure. kind of these unusual, specific histories to do with Canada oh, okay. um, and children in care in Canada oh, and cult okay, okay. in Canada, um, right. and how all that plays in um, is really, really interesting. It's, it's, it's okay. like I say, I, I keep describing it as this kind of holistic. Um, approach it's you know the, the the Doug Gently approach to kind of um, right to film criticism which is everything is related <laughs> but it but it but it really yeah. is and it's it never feels to me it never feels baggy it never feels um, unwarranted um, very kindly Tim Lucas took a look at the manuscript when we were kind of we were proofing it mm. um, and 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 Tim has said some very kind things about it as well. Um, and we'll be writing something about it, I think, at some point. But, I mean, you know, it, he, he, the thing that he brought to bear was that something that someone had said about his own book on, on Mario Bava, which was an enormous tone, tome as well, um, right. which is that it's, it's kind of a paradigm shift huh. of a book. It's just... Right, right. <laughs> it's this thing I've never really seen anyone do for a single film before. Uh-huh. That, that kind of length and that kind of depth. You know, I've seen multi-author things about a single film. Yeah. You know, where lots of people are writing lots of different things, but not just one author going this deep on it. Um, and there's some really, really interesting things in there. I think to people that, that people will have never known anything about. Well, um, that sounds fantastic. It, it really is, and I guess so I say I know that yeah. people are being immensely patient with us because it's just <laughs> it's 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 just new territory in so many ways. It's something that's so much bigger and more complica- complex. Um, and right. what Steve's done in many ways is, is very com- it, it's utterly readable and it's not, not complex in that sense, but um, it's very, very, very thorough. Yeah. Um, and any tweaks and changes that have had to be made, then just obviously have large knock on effects. We're also trying to get um signatures as well from uh, two of the, principal cast and steve so you know they're all both in the states okay yeah 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 just adds to the time it just adds to the time um it's gonna be something special i really think it's gonna be something special. sounds it yeah absolutely oh Um, that's great both it's been in 
exciting, scary, sometimes intimidating <laughs> ride. But it's um, yeah. If you're not trying new stuff, then what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know, but that's kind Absolutely, of the, that's part man. of the point. Well, this is you know everything we talked about, right? You, you, if you're not if you're not taking risks and you're not pushing the envelope and you're not pushing yourself, well, you know, what, what's the point? Indeed. <laughs> all right. Well, that all sounds uh, incredibly exciting, and I look forward to all of it. Um, uh, yeah. Any any other things you wanted to talk about as far as the press is concerned, or, or other th- other irons you've got in the fire right now? I'm going to forget something really obvious. I'm sure. <laughs> um, not so much that I can really talk about at the moment. Oh um, no, fair enough. There's yeah, some I understand. stuff going on that I can't announce because it hasn't been announced by the people nope, that's I'm involved fine. with. So I will vague book, as it were, um, <laughs> about that. Um, but it's exciting. Um, no, that's good. You're keeping busy. That's the important yeah, thing. Yeah, trying to. Anyway, um, I mean, you know, we've Fantastic. got all these other things going on as well. I mean, it's uh, there's any number of kind of other monographs on their way, but I. The nature of the business and the nature of the, the way we are is I, I tend to look at it very like most of the writers that are like they, as you know most of the people who are kind of writing even at the top of their game at the moment um in the genre we all have mm. lives and and other means of keeping ourselves kind of the bills paid most of the yeah. time there's yeah, very yeah. few people can afford to do this full time um yeah. so you know I try to be as friendly as I can with with my deadlines and as, sure. as accommodating as we can. So things tend to come out, you know, with as and when we can do them. Really, um, sure. we're still working on Cinder Phantom, which uh, obviously is an interesting one. I'm trying to get everyone out to, together on that one, um, which is films that don't exist, that yes. written about as if they do. Yeah, <laughs> is that putting it right? Yeah, it is. The Electric Dreamers yep. book of imaginary film is how I think of it. I just, uh, which, by the way, I just think one of the best ideas for a project anyone's ever had. I was, just, I cannot tell you how thrilled I was when I oh, read cool. the you. pitch for that. No, I honestly, I just thought that is like, I mean, you, you know, you know, it's a brilliant idea when your immediate thought is, why the hell hasn't anyone done that? You know, that is obviously a genius idea. So yeah, no, oh, thank you. Again. Very excited about that. I feel good about that. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else we're doing. I mean, obviously we've got different, lots of different people writing stuff, but I think it's probably just as well to hang on to those until we've got yeah, more no, to be no, able I don't, to say yeah. about them. Um, I wasn't intending kind of... to tempt you into indiscretions. That's fine. I no, just, no, that's fine. I just I kind I'm of just what, I'm trying to think busy, what the hell we've got great. so much going on. Um, yeah, there's so much I'd like to do as well, though. And that's the only right. thing is, I'd, you know, I'd love us to have our own podcast. I'd love us to have our own show, or I'll be able to do. Um, I'd love to be able to do film screenings. You know, kind of like yes. you know, get a, get a series of proper screenings, or maybe tour them or something. I don't know. Um, but these yeah, are be, things that require be, money. Right. I mean, it would be an. I mean, an Electric Dreamhouse series would be incredible, wouldn't it? If you could. I mean, but it's there's so much tied up in that in terms of finding a venue and the cost and all that kind of thing. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's mostly cost. It's not like there's an enormous thing, and it's also my 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 general feeling that I always want to keep the the the, the cost for the the audience down. I just, sure. I just, I still think that, that you know, that for the for so many people, that the price of a, a cinema ticket is just too much. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. And and it's always that feeling as well. I want to mix it up. I want to be able to kind of have, you know, obviously some of the things you're obviously going to, you, you know, the kind of things we'll have, the, the kind of books that we've done already. Um, but yeah. I'd also like to have the kind of things where you would you would show late at night, but you'd bring your kid to. Um, right. And it would be the most exciting thing that that kid's had at a cinema at, 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 to that date. I remember doing it for, yes. um, one of the first things we ever did was um, 
but long before any of this, I was working in cinema and I managed to program in some um, some late shows that would start about 11.30 at night. Right. On a Thursday and a Saturday. Um, and amongst the things we do, we'd, we'd do cult films, but we'd have things that, you know, people, uh, younger people had never seen on a big screen before. So we, you know, amongst all the more culty items, we'd still have an occasional... Sure. Um, Beetlejuice or uh, Jaws or mm. um, things like that. Um, Flash Gordon. Um, yeah. And there was one guy who would always bring his kid to those nice. to the applicable shows. And I just, I, yeah. that thrilled me. I love yeah, the idea no, that's of, of those kind of, you know, it's, you know, it's 11.30 on a Saturday night and you're going to the movies to see what? <laughs> maybe you're going to see Baron <laughs> Munchausen. Maybe you're going to see Jaws. I just sure. I thought that was just the most magical way to see movies, really. Yeah, that's super. I mean, it's really interesting, as you know. Um, I mean, one of my one of my absolute preoccupations or obsessions, which I'm, I'm slowly going through print therapy with Ginger Nuts Horror, is is sort of excavating the childhood horrors. You know, the stuff yeah. that really freaked me out as a kid. And it's one of the things that I found really interesting. In that especially now, I've got you know, I've got a nine year old daughter of my own. Is you know, like. Uh, so many of the kind of uh, quote unquote family action movies we had uh, as kids in the eighties, those PG movies were really fucking scary. They, they were <laughs> like very properly cool. scary. Yeah. 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 Um, um, they, they really were. I mean, you know, there's yeah. no two ways around it. No, that's it. I mean, I'm still, uh, I mean, to the point where I've got a couple of them. I mean, I've got, I've still got young Sherlock Holmes sitting there in shrink wrap on um, the DVD you're like I have to revisit this movie for this series because that film scared the piss out of me but I, yeah, I, it scared well, the it, piss out of me so badly I almost don't want to rewatch it which I, is it weird didn't, it didn't scare me as much as that but but that opening um, the pheasant the pheasant yeah. always did it um, even after the point I got used to it a bit like kind of Indiana Jones and stuff like that, where even with part where you, you yeah. really like it but that one still has a phrase on of something more that you're just a little bit cautious about <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, Raid, Raid, the, the climax of Raiders is kind of the, yeah, that's the one that everyone can kind of connect to, isn't it? And the, obviously Temple of Doom's just a fucking horror show from start I, to finish. I hadn't even realised, because I, I, I saw that in the cinema, and, and, and what I couldn't remember is that then most of the screenings either saw it then saw were on video or um, on TV. Yeah. And so when I finally picked up the Blu-rays... Um, I was really, really quite taken aback by the fact that there's an actual shot of his hand going through the guy's chest. Um, oh, yeah. It, it's like, oh, but that, that's not the version I remember at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> because by cutting it, you kind of play up the idea that it's a very clever trick. Yes. Um, rather than a reality. And it's, oh, so it's actually, he can actually put his hand there? Okay, that's just, ma- that's, that's not an illusion. That's just magic. Okay, so this is... Yes. Yes, the magic is real, and um, they can remove hearts. Just, just deal with that. Um, it is, but it's a weird one because I've shown it to my daughter. And yeah, she loves it. Oh, I'm so glad. But she loves because I think she particularly loves, loves short round. Yeah, well, this is the I thing about the thing Temple. Works. Yeah, that's the thing about Temple for me is short round as an audience identification figure when you're a kid is you cannot underestimate how powerful that kid is. Um, and uh, I still get that thrill now. I still get that anyway. We're talking about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I'm sorry, we've, we've really gone off the Temple. Well, no, yeah, it's a, don't apologise. It's great. I just like I just don't want us to end up going for three hours. That's all. I know. You know, we both got beds to get to and Fridays to get through. So, indeed, um, indeed. But you know, I, I, this we well, having managed to make this one work, we can come back. 
Hey we, man, yeah. We'll, anytime. We, I'm quite yeah. I'm quite happy to sit and chat to you about whatever you want to chat about. Pretty much any point. So yeah, we'll we'll do that. But but for now, and uh, you know, again, kicking off the the series as a this is an introduction to the to the new podcast series on watching Tommy Neil. Thank you so much. Thanks for agreeing to come on and talk to me about about this movie and about Russell's work. I've I've really enjoyed uh, spending some time with you this evening. Thank you. It's, it's been fantastic. I really enjoyed it too. Cool. All right. And uh, if people want to find you and or the the work you you're putting out at the moment online, what's the best place for them to do that? Best place actually just go to the the PS publishing website, um, right. which has um, they actually have a, a section for Electric Dreamhouse. I list all mm-hmm. of my books are there. Um, there is an electricdreamhouse.co.uk, which is it kind of replicates a lot of the thing, but we you know we own we own the site at least. Um, but I think probably um, PS Publishing is your best place because, and, and actually, if you sign up as well to the PS Publishing newsletter, um, it'll keep you abreast as well of what's coming, when, um, and how things are moving along. Yeah, and I thoroughly recommend doing that. I'm, I'm signed up to the newsletter myself, and PS, I mean, PS just put out some of the best looking books <laughs> full stop i mean they're just absolutely amazing publishers so yeah i recommend that all right now thank you so much for your time um and i'm i'm sure we'll catch up again soon as well i'll see you at edgelit if not before fantastic yeah looking forward to it all right see you then okay man Take cheers bye bye right. and stopping recording so that's it that's our show thank you so much for tuning and listening thank you again to neil for that incredible conversation hopefully we'll be catching up again soon on frankly any subject he wants to talk about as far as i'm concerned because that was a joy um again a reminder uh, the next episode on this feed should be um talking tommy and that will be a, a full commentary track for the movie as with Robocop, I expect it to work as a standalone. Tommy the Book is available from the 13th of July from Electric Dreamhouse Press and PS Publishing. Please go to the PS Publishing website for that. I also have a novella called The Finite, which is also out on the 13th. That's from Black Shot Books. So if you're interested in catching up on my fiction and, you know, my own musings on mortality and the end of the world, then that's the one for you. Go and pick that up. Um, Otherwise, again, thank you to every single person who's backing me on Patreon, making these podcasts financially viable. Um, And frankly, I have to say, some weeks just giving me the will to carry on. Uh, And that, you know, I say it jokingly, but it's true, genuinely, uh, knowing there are people out there who care enough about your work to be prepared to kick in, you know, a dollar or two a month to, to keep supporting you. It's hugely important. I can't tell you what it means. It matters so, so much. Um, and as long as you know, as long as you keep back and I'll keep producing the content guys, thank you, uh, guys and girls, thank you all so much, uh, for your continued support. And again, if you really enjoyed the show, you'd like to contribute yourselves, patreon.com forward slash kit power, you'll get something new from me every single week, uh, whether that's a new piece of writing or a new piece of audio content for, for as little as a dollar a month with even more rewards at higher levels. So yes, if you have enjoyed the show, you'd like to continue to support it, uh, hear more episodes of Tommy before anyone else get the smug glow of satisfaction from being the first, then, uh, yeah, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Kit Power. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, smash the mirror.